0: Welcome to Junior.
1: Hey, everybody. Got a great show today. Uh, Eddie and I are going to talk about our typical work day, and we kind of dip into agile development and what it's like to work in an agile environment and what the heck agile even means. So, if you've ever been curious about what it means to be a developer and what that life is kind of like day to day, then you're in for a great show. Uh, Also, you can support the show by going over to iTunes and leaving us a review, Uh, liking, subscribing, um, jumping on Twitter and saying something nice about us, doing all the things, and we appreciate that. We also have a newsletter, which you can get from our site under the subscribe button, so click that and get an email from us. All right, on to the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work, full stack JavaScript developer, and as always, I have with me Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. Just not going to do it this time. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie uh, has promised that he's going to work on his intro, and but, I want it to be different every time. But but he never does work on it. Yeah. He just kind of wings it. Anyway, today um <laughs> today we're going to talk about uh, something that I think is. Maybe a little interesting for anybody out there that hasn't worked in the industry yet, and that's um, our typical work days. So, uh, I know that I came from a totally unrelated background. Um, I was a, a fireman, a nurse, a paramedic, um, and then, you know, had a lot of other jobs and never had anything like development, um, never had any job that was quite like working in the tech industry. Uh, what, what about you, Eddie? I was in design for a little bit, so some stuff was
0: kind of similar. Uh, I was never really in, like, an agile environment or anything like that. But the typical workday is something that comes up in interviews quite a bit, Um, just interviewing people for positions at the place I work. Um, But, yeah, so I think this was a good idea for an episode, maybe answer some questions that uh, some junior developers might have about what a typical workday is for, for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that when I was getting into it, I was kind of curious, like, what do you actually do as a developer? Do you just, like, go into a cave and you just, like, (laughs) write code all day long? Or um, they say it's, like, a a team effort nowadays, so uh, how do you program as a team, right? Like, you know, maybe by yourself you're doing tutorials or whatever and you just write your own code, but how does that translate to you know 30 people writing code for a project or 10 people or five people you know so um I, I don't see a whole lot of coverage on that at least in the podcast that i listen to so i thought it'd be super cool to to just go over that today so um yeah so what's a typical work
0: day for you because we don't work together anymore so yeah I'm yeah curious. so <laughs> <laughs>
1: um how long uh how long have we been doing this now um podcast no uh, uh being, develop? yeah development like professional developers um uh,
0: since september? i think it, yeah
1: september so uh let's do math not that um, long six ten uh, months
0: yeah nine ten months
1: oh yeah it, i just passed
0: uh my nine month anniversary at work because cool. it tells me how how old i am
1: so probably coming up on 10 months i would say yeah so um we're still junior developers, uh, you know, still new to this thing. Um, so I don't know, you're, you're going to get our perspective on it. You're not going to get like the senior developer perspective if that's like wildly different. And I don't think it necessarily would be, but uh, just to, to throw out that caveat. Um, but yeah, my, my typical work day, uh, I get up in the morning. Um, we start uh, at roughly nine o'clock. And I get either I work from home or I get into the office and at 10 o'clock we have a standup. So from like nine to 10, I'll check like my email and see if uh, there's any like new tickets that got assigned to me. See if there's anything interesting going on with like our organization or, uh, it sending me stuff or or anything like that. Um, usually I drink some coffee at this point just to, (laughs) to try and wake up. Um, for anybody out there, try and keep it to, to like two cups or less a day because, uh, coffee is addictive. Um, <laughs> but you know, so we About have our, three. Sta- yeah. So we have our standup, which, um, if you're, if you're unfamiliar is a meeting for the team where everybody just kind of touch touches base, like where they're at on a project. So, you know, for us, we have an e-commerce site and the site is up and running. It's live in production. Um, and we're just kind of like looking at, um, any bugs that have come up and if there's any changes that like the design team or marketing wants to make, or if there's other features that were, um, weren't critical at the time that the site was being built. And now we're trying to like circle back and implement them. So just like a backlog. Yeah. Like a backlog. Exactly. Okay. So, um, Everybody talks about, like, what stuff they're working on, gets assigned new stuff, talks about if there's anything that's stopping them from doing whatever they're doing. So, like, I was working on, um, this past week, working on 404 pages for the website and, um, the design team had, uh, some pictures of, like, uh, trucks or whatever that were going to be on the, the 404 page. And so they sent me everything except for one picture so I was like blocked until I got that last picture to finish the ticket or the story. So, you know, you mentioned that in stand up and then everybody's like, "Oh, okay, we'll we'll jump on, you know, get on the horn and get a hold of marketing or whatever, or design and then get you that picture." Um and then from there like, yeah, just kind of, you know, from 10 on work on the code that I'm doing um try and develop that feature uh, maybe we have like some meetings where somebody else is working on something and they need some help or they need to discuss like a direction that they want to go with what they're doing. Um, and we just are kind of like, you know, working on stuff and for the rest of the day. So um, nothing like super crazy revolutionary or anything, but yeah. Um, what about you? How, how does your typical work day go?
0: So... um our office hours are kind of flexible. So I go in anytime between nine and nine thirty. 30. Um, my first meeting I have stand up as well every day uh, at 10 o'clock. Right now we're at the end of part of our project. So um, I've been working on a lot of bugs and getting fixes out the door so um, they can do a release. And um, so the first meeting, we're just touching base seeing you know, like, you know going through the same thing you just mentioned like if we're blocked on something or you know uh right now we have testers and they're um bring, we have a bunch of bug tickets so we're just going through as many of those as possible um and then just working on the code rest of the day fixing as many bugs as i can right now and then um right while we're in this part just before the release um we have another touch point at the end of the day just to see where we're at and You know um figure out what the next day is going to be like and uh i think right half our team is also working on new stuff so i they i've stood on to fix bugs so that's that's very similar to your day um
1: what's uh what percentage of your day do you think um maybe on average because i know some days are like more meeting heavy than others but oh yeah how much of your day do you think you spend on like emails and meetings and just like communicating with other uh, people on the project and talking to BAs and all that kind of stuff.
0: Emails, not a ton. Um, Talking to BAs happens, especially if you're working on a new feature and you need some clarity on like uh, maybe a design's not completely accurate or like sometimes like when starting this project, we really didn't have, um designs uh, we had some screenshots of an older um design and then the bas kind of use ms paint and like drew stuff on there so i have to like talk to them a bunch <laughs> just to kind of figure out where a button should go or what, how big it should be you know things like that um so yeah the, when you're f- first starting a sprint there's a lot more communication involved. And then as you get toward the end of it, there's a little bit less because you kind of know what you're working on and trying to get that done to, uh, to demo. Um, if you guys, I don't know if, do you guys do demos at all?
1: No, because we're not, um, we're not pitching a product to anybody and we're not like, okay. we're not building our site out for, um, like another, like a customer. Uh, okay. it's our, it's our site. It's our business. So is there any um, kind of like, usability or like testing
0: that happens after you guys finish your ticket
1: yeah so like i know uh where you're at you've got like a qa team and um you guys do demos like you check in with the client and you're like hey this is what we have so far this is what we built and like here's how it's going um with us we work on like we don't do sprints anymore because um like like i said the the site is live in production and it's, it's pretty much built at this point. Um, we're just doing backlog stuff. So we had, we just have tickets and like when we run out of tickets, we just hey, I any more stuff to work on. And then they dig in the backlog and find stuff. And then okay. as like higher priority stuff comes along, uh, the CTO gets together with like the project management folks. And then they kind of decide what the priority should be. And then that trickles down to me. And, you know, so maybe it's like, Hey, we need you to build out a carousel or something. So, uh, make okay. that your priority and we jump on that. Um, had yeah. to do that. What's that? Have you, uh, build a carousel? In- no. Um, most of our stuff is, uh, it's like leveraging existing components and stuff. So, oh, okay. um, like we've already got carousels in the site. So I just kind of like pull from that. And then oh. it's a matter of like, when should this thing show up and what kind of communication is it doing with like our APIs and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um so it's not really I don't do a whole ton of custom stuff. Like one thing I did was I built a uh a counter component. So like mm-hmm. we've got a thing where um if you go on a product page, it'll show you like buy now in the next like six hours, forty three minutes, thirty seconds. Oh uh, okay. And you'll get free shipping today or something. And so like I had to build that counter that uh, gets like a time from our API and then it counts down to that time. And then it has to flip um, to like order now ships tomorrow or something whenever that okay. timer runs out. So um, little stuff like that um, is, I, I mean, that's, that was super fun if my boss ever listens to this, but <laughs> um, I really enjoyed that uh, like building uh, components and stuff, but yeah, that um, sounds cool. Most of the time it's like, um, not, I don't know, it's been a lot of like bug fix kind of stuff and like smaller detail stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see that's presentational on the site. So like I've done some, some regexes, I've done like authentication code and stuff like that, which is kind of weird. But I think what we're missing here, just to like back up a little bit is explaining like just really high level what agile is and what a BA is and all that stuff. Oh, okay. So um, agile development is kind of like a developer workflow. Um, so way back when uh, they used to build programs kind of like maybe the way that you would really expect, like, and that is sit down and plan the thing out and then they would build it. And that just doesn't really work for software development and the reason is yeah. is that you sit down with a client and they're like i need an application that does x y and z and you're like great and you spend like three months planning it architecting it deciding who's going to do what writing out all the you know requirements and whatever and then you start building it and you get like six months into building it and all of a sudden the client's like well actually we need a b and c instead of x y and z and this should be this instead of this And then, you know, on top of that, maybe while you guys are developing, or gals, um, you run into some things that you didn't think of while you were planning. Like, hey, actually, Mm -hmm. we can't build it this way. We have to build it this way. Or maybe this technology doesn't work. This technology works. So what ends up happening is that all of that development time, you know, three months of planning, six months of development, depending on the changes that come along, could be wasted time and money. So, like the project, like you spent all this time writing this code and that code ends up becoming useless or has to change a lot. And so what you plan to be a year of development time balloons into two years of development time or three years. And then, you know, the client's mad because they're spending all this money and you're mad because they keep changing their mind. And so they came out with I couldn't even tell you the year off the top of my head, but (laughs) a group of developers got together and they came out with the Agile Manifesto, which sounds like really dark and ominous (laughs) (laughs) when you say it, but um, basically it's some, some rules and guidelines for just a better way of, of developing software. And kind of the, the basis is that instead of doing what we just described, which was plan everything, and then build it. It's have a basic set of requirements and then plan a little bit and build a little bit at a time. Do a little bit of planning, do a little bit of development, check in with the client. Tiny chunks. Yeah, and then, oh, well, I don't like this or I don't like that or whatever. Cool, you didn't build the whole application yet, so you can just modify those requirements and keep moving. Yeah. So that works a lot better for software development. So when Eddie was talking before about sprints, like, you, you know, have this high level understanding of what the things should do, but then you grab a couple of tiny pieces of it for your sprint. And for like a couple of weeks, you guys or gals knock out all mm-hmm. those things and then check in with the client and show them what you did. So yeah, I can
0: just really quick go over. Um, so we do planning and we do grooming, um, before a sprint. So, um, we'll groom the story. So we'll we'll go over with the BA and BA is just, uh, what are they? They, Business analyst. Yeah. Business. analyst, sorry, but they're (laughs) the person between the client and, and you basically, they take care of like all the stuff outside of development. Um, So we'll go through grooming, we'll groom the story, so there'll be a list of things that need to be done. We'll go through them, tell them why we can't do it, why we can do it, or what needs to be done, or what are the requirements to complete the story. And story is uh, little chunks, little tiny projects that you have to take on uh, through the sprint. Our sprints are two weeks. Um, And then we'll do planning, and in planning we'll tell them how long each story is going to take us. Um, for where I work, we do a modified uh, Fibonacci scale. So we'll do one, it's what, one, three, five, eight, and we usually don't do more than like whatever the next number is. I think thirteen. Um, so we'll we'll say either the story is one point, three points, five points, whatever, and that's usually how many days it it would take. So we you get enough points for the week and then, um, that's your work for the, not the week for the sprint. And then, um, that's your work for the sprint. And then that's what you're responsible for. And then through that process, you work on those stories, complete them. And then every standup, you bring up what you've completed, what you're going to work on the next day. And, uh, that's, that's pretty much what a sprint is.
1: Yeah. So, um, backing up a little bit, uh, if you heard Eddie say, fibonacci sequence uh don't freak out or panic or anything um (laughs) is the scale yeah Yeah, all he's saying is that uh they have a set um amount of points they can they can assign to a ticket or a story Mm -hmm. and you know basically you're weighting that ticket like how much effort it takes to complete it and so that you try and balance out like how much how many points that each person gets so that one person doesn't get all the hard work. And then the other person's just like adjusting button sizes or something silly. Yeah. So maybe like adjusting a button would be like one point, you know, it takes you a couple hours to go in there and do it or something. And then, um, maybe something big, like something with an API usually is like, yeah, yeah. Like five days
0: hit this endpoint
1: and display X, Y, or Z or something. Yeah. make uh make this API call happen off of this UI interaction or something would be like a three or five or an eight or something like that, depending on yeah. how involved.
0: If something's pretty huge, we try to break it up even smaller and then um assign those points accordingly.
1: Yeah, and um a lot of that uh grooming that you were talking about is um just a process of the project management folks and the developers sitting down and deciding like You know, is this story or this ticket um, feasible and is it clear and does it make sense? And do we have all the the logic or the business requirements or business logic um, explained clearly and properly in the story? And if not, that's your opportunity to push back and say, like, hey, what the heck are you talking about when you say, like, this button should log me in? so that would be like a really badly written story because um you know what does that even mean like are you talking to an api or it's like am i logging in with a username password am i logging in with um a social media account uh there's a lot of things that happen with that and if that stuff isn't really explicit and clear you know, you can go off and develop something and then you come back and they're like, well, that's not actually what I meant. And then at that point, it's kind of on you because you've accepted it and you've gone and developed it. Whereas if you handle it up front and say like, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, what actually do you want me to do with this? Then it's kind of like, it's on them. They didn't give you the proper requirements. So,
0: and those grooming sessions can take a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah but uh it's kind long. of like it's worth it though
1: it's important even though yeah. it kind of it kind of stinks to yeah to be in those meetings and what's the uh term for writing these stories
0: I forget um
1: uh do i don't remember
0: Uh oh, forgot the guy's name it's uh, a way to write these oh uh, the um gherkin something
1: i might have it in my bookmarks okay uh eddie and i are not like agile scrum master no though i'm I'm gonna
0: take the 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 tests at some point when they set that up at work or take the courses to be certified
1: what even is a scrum master dina
0: i don't know i'll figure out when i take the course uh
1: okay so invest Gherkin
0: syntax or something like that
1: for writing the the stories in a way that's testable and like So I've got, um, invest. Um, so independent, uh, of all other stories, negotiable, uh, not a specific contract, valuable, uh, estimable or able to be approximated small so it can fit within a sprint and testable. But, uh, there's a bunch of them, uh, smart, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant time boxed. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but anyway there, there's a lot of cute little acronyms for like how to write a good requirement um and so that would be like something typically that um the qa team would know a whole lot about yeah we need to have a qa person on here and so we can like, i would love them. to because yeah. they See if i could get him stuff. on <laughs> yeah we we have somebody in mind that uh yeah. that we that we used to work with um i still work I, with them yeah eddie still works with them but uh he, he's a little shy, so maybe in the future we can get him on. But uh, in any case, um, your QA team, if you have one, uh, will kind of once they get these stories in, your code gets matched against the story, and so if you let's say went off on your own and did you know X, Y, or Z to make the thing work, and then that doesn't match what's on the ticket, like QA is going to complain about it, and so they kind of yeah. get like a bad rap because. <laughs> you can see a lot of programmer memes on the internet where you submit your code to QA and then they just kind of like crap all over it or whatever. (laughs) But um, what they're, what they're doing is kind of like keeping everybody responsible and that's, it's a really good thing to have QA and a good thing to do all of these meetings and stuff where you're hammering out requirements and double checking things and making sure that everybody's staying sane.
0: Yeah. Especially with what I'm going through right now. um, It's super helpful. Have, yeah, uh, QA. Um, but yeah, it's called. Uh, let's see, originally intended. originally intended for developers, Gherkin is a structured approach to writing behavioral tests. So I s- I'm still probably a little off there, but it's
1: something like that. Don't or, uh, or actually, do add us if you if you want to <laughs> well, actually us on on some of the stuff. Yeah, I'll be fine. Um. Because yeah, like we're, first of all, like the agile manifesto is an ideal situation and there's different facets of agile, um, different ways to, um, to implement it. Yeah. So on top of that, uh, not every workplace, um, does it a hundred percent correctly or in alignment with the actual manifesto.
0: Not even in the same office because uh, there's another project going on where I work and they, the way they, you know, um, assign stories and, you know, pick their points and stuff like that is completely different from us. They do it, I think, with by hours or something like that. Okay. Yeah, which seems really hard. I don't know if I could do that it's be pretty difficult to know like this is going to be like three hours or half a day maybe i can do half a day or a full day or something like that but that's how they do it interesting so, while i would do a max of maybe somewhere between like around 13 points or whatever like theirs can be like 24 or 21 or something like that depending on you know whatever the the work is for that sprint some people do two-week sprints, some people do three, you know, it. some people do one. Uh, it can change. It depends on your workplace.
1: Yeah, so um, there's a really cute infographic um, called Software Development Explained with Cars. Oh, really? Um, by, it looks like, Mart Verkus. Um, so I'll, we'll throw this up on the show notes, but basically the first thing that we were talking about, traditional linear production, would be like waterfall development. Yeah. And then now what we're talking about is agile and so um uh, I think probably um there's looks like Kanban, Scrum and Lean methods for uh agile implementations. Mm-hmm. And what what I do at work is closer to Kanban where we just have like to-dos and um like a backlog and we just, you know, peel off tickets as we as we go. Okay. And then Scrum has like the sprints where you're doing a couple of weeks of development. And then yeah. I guess um, lean is where you're just basically focusing on, you know, hammering out the the MVP or minimum viable product as fast as possible. Okay. So um, yeah, like for, for my workplace uh, we don't have a QA team. We just kind of like, we manually test our stuff as it goes up into staging and production. And so we're like a really, really small development team and we've got a really, really small design team and project management team. And we just kind of, um, peel off tickets and then like, I'll get a story that may have like, you know, one sentence on a ticket or something. And then I have to like stop. (laughs) Yeah. I have to stop and then say like, Hey, what actually do you want me to do with this? Because I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. You know, there's a lot of different ways to implement stuff. So it's something where instead of having like a grooming session, like as I peel off tickets, if I have any questions, I just make sure that I really hammer out all the details up front. So I know exactly what they want before I go and make myself crazy developing it. And there's been times where I'll develop something and uh, make like a pull request. And then they'll look at it and go, well, actually we need you to do this. And actually the requirements change while you were developing it. I mean, you do X, Y, wow. and Z now. So that, that stuff will make you crazy. Yeah.
0: That's frustrating. That's happened to me a lot too. Even in a bigger place with more people that can probably, you know, some people that are just, their job is to make, make, you know, communicate.
1: Yeah. You're going to, you're going to deal with that stuff either way. Yeah. So don't, don't take it like, oh, Lee works at a crappy place, and Eddie's place <laughs> is awesome. Because you know, there's there's uh, rough spots to both. So yeah. Anyway, um, did did we miss anything on this? Really wasn't supposed so, to be like an agile episode or anything. It was just like what we do at work. So yeah. So what do you um, do when you're stuck? Yeah, that's a good you, point. Yeah. Um, so what I do is if I get stuck on something, either I don't know what to do. Or I've hit a spot where I need like everybody on the team to be okay with what I'm about to do. Uh, I jump on a call with um, some other developers, so I'll jump on with our front end team lead and our um, like front end director, and we'll just sit down and go like, here's what, here's the problem, here's my proposed solution, and what do you think? Or here's what I'm trying to do and here's what I've done. How, like, do you have any ideas about this or what can we do? And so we'll end up doing, like, pair programming and stuff for some of that. Or just we'll hash out the requirements of something and how we want to handle it in the code base. And then, like, once I have a clear direction, then it's like, okay, great. And then I'm off to the races and I go do my development. And then from there, like, do my pull request or something. And then if they have... Um, comments or whatever then i'll circle back and fix stuff so if i knock out a ticket and i do some stuff like let's say i name a variable products like okay. i have a it's supposed to be a boolean for products like do you have them or do you don't and so they may come back and say like you should make this has products because i got
0: what. the same comment yeah <laughs> in my pull request <laughs> like you should use is has or something exactly I what it was.
1: like if it's a truthy thing like yeah it shouldn't be ambiguous. It should like, you should read it and it should say like, has products is flashing is glowing. Like not just glowing is glowing like that. That stuff tells the, the other coders or programmers or developers, Hey, this, this person is intending to use a Boolean. Yeah. And then on the flip side, like you shouldn't return like it shouldn't barf out some kind of garbage data if you don't need the data it should barf out an actual true or false value. Okay. So don't return like an array of products. If you don't need that array just to say like, yep, they exist, you know, because you can, you can get away with that in JavaScript because you have truthy and falsy stuff. So it doesn't actually have to be true or false. It can just like exist or not exist. And so, you know, we, we fight against that kind of stuff a lot where instead of throwing out an array, you should pass back a false or a true.
0: That's funny because I had the same comment and I have to go back and change all of my booleans to use.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So what's cool about where I'm at is I get kind of immediate feedback as I, you know, knock out tickets. So let's say we have a ticket called with a number attached to it, like front end team 300 or something. So I make a PR that's like front 300, the name of the thing, and then send that up, request reviews from, like, my boss and his boss, and then we sit down, and they read through the changes, and then they look at stuff like that. Like, hey, Lee, you shouldn't name this, you know, flashing. It should be is flashing. Mm. And, you know, different things like that. And so, like, oh, you shouldn't have one giant function. You should have, like, three smaller functions or something. Yeah. And then... I'll be like okay great and then go back make those changes shoot up another commit and then they'll merge it in
0: that's uh, so for us it's um work on your story make your pull request um then uh your pull requests you have a list of people that will check it um we do because a lot of our stuff goes to the client the client has their own development team and they verify everything before it gets merged into to what we're working on. So we'll have someone um, in the office look at it and then make sure it passes. And then the other team over there would, will look at it. And then once we have the two approvals, then it, it'll get merged in. But, yeah, uh, that's a, a part we I guess we forgot to cover, like pull requests, comments, and then, you know, dealing with that stuff and then pushing your code back up and getting that merged into, um, well, not master. Well, we work off a, a develop branch. I don't know how you guys do it.
1: Master is our development branch. Okay. That stuff, like if you're, oh, what's he talking about? Merging and pull requests and stuff. Is, uh has to do with Git and Git flow. Mm-hmm. So that's just the process of, like you have version control. So I don't want to like explain all this stuff in no, but get familiar
0: but with Git. Yeah, Git it, is such a pain in the butt.
1: Yeah, Git. Everybody knows four commands, right? And that's yeah. It. <laughs> um. So basically, what we're talking about is just Git flow, which is the workflow for working with version control. Yeah. And that's just a way of like doing smart save points for your uh, your code base. Um. So you can look up Git flow and and Git and all that stuff. But essentially, the the gist of it is you've got, like, different um, branches off of uh, your development code base. And so you've got, like, the master branch, which is, you know, the main uh, swim lane, I guess. And then if you get a story or something, you take a snapshot of that and peel off and do your own changes and then whenever that's ready submit it for review and then if it's good they merge it back into master so Mm -hmm. your changes like are isolated and if you screw everything up like it's not a big deal but then once you're finished you can still come back to master and then your changes become part of that main uh branch or that main swim lane for for your project's code base
0: yeah um but for us, there's like another layer of separation where there's master and then there's develop, and then we all work off develop, and then that's eventually put back into master. So you yeah, would, so that's yeah, you know, go ahead.
1: That's the like what I'm doing it where I'm at is not the typical Git flow. So like oh, what okay. you're talking about having a develop and a master branch is like the textbook kind of Git flow stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the feature branches. Uh, you branch off what your feature, your feature name, whatever your Jira ticket is. And then um, you do your development and then you make your pull request for that branch and then that gets merged into develop and then later on develop gets merged into master.
1: Right. Yeah, so um, the difference would be like for us at work, uh, we do our development off of master and that's kind of like instead of having a separate branch for that. And then we just do like a tag for... Um, a release so we go into the master branch and like create a save point and say like this is going to be version like x x x or something and then that gets released and sent up to like our production stuff okay is there anything else that you can think of that you want to cover for like for a typical workday um lunch maybe <laughs> kidding uh yeah i mean do you eat at your desk is that um, I do
0: typically most times um, every now and then we'll, we'll go out with the rest of the office and we'll get grab lunch somewhere um, but yeah like or there's a deli across the street which will grab food come back and then I'll if I'm super busy yeah I eat at my desk
1: yeah so I would say that uh, what Eddie just described as like leaving the office and going outside and stuff you should shoot for that and not eating at your desk um, <laughs> definitely go out and eat like if you have a team that does that and goes together and like takes a walk or eats lunch or whatever like I know that it's expensive to go out and buy food for lunch, but uh you can still like eat your own lunch and then kind of hang out with them. but the point being get away from your desk for lunch basically yeah
0: or take a walk I do that if I'm super busy, I'll take like ten minutes and just walk around the building and like
1: make a call or something or just, you know, get outside for a minute. Absolutely. Get up from your desk and go do something else for a little while. Yeah. Um, don't get into the habit of, of eating lunch at your desk because you'll just like, that's what I do typically is I get there early and I do like, um, maybe some side work for like the podcast or for the meetup or something, uh, write emails and stuff. And then, I just like develop straight through lunch, and all the way till like it's time to go home. So um, it's a bad habit. Don't do that. Don't overwork yourself. Hundred um, percent. Get up and, and go outside. And so that's that's the thing that I am kind of working on personally. Yeah. Taking more breaks and like getting away from the computer a little bit more, because you can definitely fall into that that hole of just sitting at your desk and like, bah, just coding all day long or working all day long
0: yeah definitely i like being at the end of this part of the project um i got a little burned out i took the last two days off so i would suggest if you're getting a little stressed out if you can just take like a day or so off of work or like go on that walk or do something to de-stress
1: yeah definitely um so this is a really crappy transition, but Go ahead. <laughs> a good way to de-stress is to kind of like do other things aside from development, like watch movies or anime or read comics or <laughs> play video games. So why don't we uh, why don't we get into nerd minute here? Um, I don't know what I ha- I finished. Jessica Jones. It was good. So so tell me about season two and season three because I only watched season one.
0: So season season one is probably the best um, because of the villain. Uh, okay. This season two, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but the villain is kind of her mom. And then it's, it's her whole backstory. Um, and how, okay. How she, Jessica Jones got her powers and where it all comes from and the doctor involved and stuff like that. The third season's more about like dealing with the aftermath of like season two. And then, um, she gets, uh, really injured in the beginning and then dealing with that and then her sister goes a little crazy um i like the story a little better um but yeah it's it's it was good wasn't one of like my favorites but i enjoyed it other than that i haven't really done much um
1: have you uh have you read alias
0: no no um is it good
1: i've never read it but i know that at least i think I know that Alias is the uh, comic that the Jessica Jones show is based off of yeah I don't know it's not a hundred percent
0: I don't think
1: Luke Cage isn't yeah. really in it at all I'm yeah sure. that's that was just like a Netflix let's get street level Marvel together yeah. and, and do a bunch of shows but um he later on like I think after the Alias series like in the greater Marvel Universe like Jessica Jones marries Luke Cage and yeah, all have that a and baby and stuff have, have a baby yeah, and then she kind of like becomes this nagging mom wife character that is like oh don't go out and be in danger and uh, we have a baby and it's kind of like whatever but um, especially because you know it's like aha good strong like female character good superhero and then she just like takes this mom role that's like backseat which kind of stinks, but was the alias uh, show the same person? Or supposedly the same character? I know there was like a TV show called Alias, yeah. but I think that was uh that was something else. Oh, okay.
0: So I've never seen that either. But yeah, um, I haven't really done much else outside of that. Um Yeah, just I, I watched a lot of the E three coverage. That's about it.
1: Oh, yeah, there's a new Breath of the Wild coming, right?
0: Uh, That was like a real teaser type of thing. It's, it's, that, it's not going to happen for like for a that. couple of years probably.
1: Maybe I'll have money to buy a Switch at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it looks yeah, kind of uh, dark
0: because it's like, it like a zombie or something like that. I don't know. I never played Breath of the Wild. but
1: That looked amazing to me because Breath of the Wild is like super light on story. Basically, it's like Link wakes up. 100 years after ganon like destroys hyrule okay and um it's all about like what happened and he's he has amnesia and so you kind of get like a bunch of flashbacks that as his memory slowly starts to come back um and then eventually like you know you fight ganon but yeah uh the sequel to that is going to be like the return of zelda kind of it looked like wasn't did you see the trailer Yeah, so in Breath of the Wild, like... uh, I don't know if I'm miserably spoiling this, but... Zelda's not really in it. Oh, really? Until the very end, where you, like, free her. She's kind of, like, trapped in some other realm or plane or something. But she's, like, this ethereal force ghost kind of thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) And and she's helping keep Ganon at bay um, as you go through the game. And then... In the new one, like, or actually, at the end of Breath of the Wild, she like becomes human again, and is like freed from the clutches of Ganon or whatever. Yeah. And then in the new one, like, she's it looks like she's gonna actually have a role to play. So it'll be really cool to to take over from there because the the storyline to Breath of the Wild, I think, is really awesome, but at the same time, didn't get hardly any focus in the actual game.
0: Yeah, okay. Are you a big Zelda fan? Yeah.
1: I'm a huge Zelda fan. Really? Uh, I love Zelda. Um that's like my favorite game series of all time. Wow, really? Um everything from like the only one I haven't played actually is the uh Okay, there's there's a couple, but The Legend of Zelda 2 Adventure of Link. Okay. Really like the doing side, side scroller? Yeah. I haven't played that one. And I haven't played uh the Konami Game Boy Zeldas. So uh, minish cap of uh, okay. seasons and oracle of ages i haven't played um and then i played a little bit of skyward sword but i absolutely hate the wii Remote, <laughs> and i think it's hot garbage and motion controls suck so okay you, you can uh you can come at me on twitter on that one <laughs> uh, i'll i'll defend that until you know that i'll take that hill to die on basically
0: but <laughs> i like zelda the only thing i've played. From beginning to end was Ocarina of Time.
1: Which is the best of all time. Oh really? Greatest of all time Zelda, okay. in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Um actually I think maybe Breath of the Wild is up there with uh Ocarina of Time. But uh Ocarina of Time just has like first of all, first three D Zelda. Yeah. And then second of all, like first Zelda to have like an amazing storyline to it. Okay. And amazing characters and a lot of good mechanics to it. Um, like Amazing Dungeons and uh, it's just a that amazing where, game. That's where and Hey Listen came from, right? Yes. Hey Listen! The, the, <laughs> the friggin' fairy from <laughs> So whenever you start out Ocarina of Time like you're in the forest, the Kokiri forest with uh, the Kokiri children which are like forest nymphs or something like little elves in the forest and they all have fairies that fly around with them and watch over him except for link. Cause he's like a Hylian and not a child of the forest. And so the great uh, Deku or Deku tree assigns him a fairy at some point and that's Navi. And for the rest of the game, the fairy follows you around and like every time you stray from your quest or something, it starts shouting at you. Hey, listen, <laughs> and, um, if you target something, it starts going like, Hey, so, that's, like, the only annoying part of that game. But
0: What's the, the cell shaded one? The one on oh, the boat? Man. Wind Waker. Wind Waker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I have the, the HD version on my Wii U. Uh, have I, you beat it? No,
1: I started it, and I really uh, liked it, though. But, dude. So. so, it takes a couple hours because you start off on the island with Wind Waker, and I absolutely hated Wind Waker when it came out because... It came out after Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, and it was supposed to be, like, the next-gen 3D Zelda. And instead of doing, like, a hyper-realistic version of Link, they did, like, cartoon cel-shaded Link. Yeah. And I was like, this is garbage. Like, what is this cartoon Link crap? <laughs> and um, playing the game, like, the first couple hours, like, you start off on an island. Basically, all of Hyrule is underwater. And uh, there's only islands around the map. And you you do a lot of sailing between islands, which is cool. But um, you start off on your home island, and then you meet uh, a pirate, and then from there you go to like Ganon's fortress, and you do like this stealth section, which kind of is crap. But then after that, the game opens up and lets you explore, and from there, like the dungeons and the mechanics and stuff, just are really really good. Um, the only part that kind of sucks about that one is, in my opinion, in the beginning. And then, kind of like, there's a lot of dead, empty space on the map because it's just like it's just water that you're sailing around. Yeah, but the story for that one's like super duper awesome. I won't spoil it for you, but uh, I have to go back to it. Really, I have to go
0: back to a lot of games.
1: Just, just yeah, that, that one's worth uh, that one's worth um, sitting down. Very relaxing, I think, just sailing around and stuff. Okay. <clears throat> kind of like breath of the wild is i was playing it last night is uh is super relaxing you just kind of are wandering around this um peaceful quiet hyrule so you're playing that on wii u um i play it on simu which is an emulator for wii u Oh, okay so i played on my pc Uh, i did buy a switch and i bought breath of the wild um for the switch okay But it's for my daughter, so she plays that, and then I just play it on PC. So uh, don't don't uh, cease and desist me. (laughs) They're really good at that too. Yeah, I think Mario's gonna be banging on my door in ten minutes. Yeah,
0: they've like taken down like uh, ROM sites and stuff like that. It's just
1: pretty. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. So the I don't really want to get into this either, but the thing that sucks about that is there's no good way to play those games, or at least buy them. The older games, without yeah, without using an emulator. So there's um, there's like you can go on the Nintendo eShop or whatever. Okay, but you just end up buying the games over and over and over again. So that's like, what they want. Yeah, yeah, and that sucks. Um, like I, I owned a Nintendo. Like I had, yeah, yeah. So I have one of those too, the SNES Mini. Um, that's a better solution, I think, than. Buying like digital download like five bucks for the original Legend of Zelda every couple of years, yeah, because like the console generation lapses, like I would rather just play it on p c and own it forever. Super
0: Mario World is probably my favorite game of all time, and I've purchased it like I don't even know how many times, just yeah, like which five or at least five or six times
1: that stuff just makes me crazy, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, Legend of Zelda, amazing, <laughs> uh definitely. Um, I don't know if you have a Switch handy or available. No,
0: my daughter wants one, though. I might buy one for her.
1: Yeah, the Breath of the Wild is, like, super good, so... Cannot recommend that one enough. Um, If you're a Zelda fan. The only thing that kind of bugs me about it is the dungeons aren't that great. Okay. Um, The open-world stuff is, like, top-notch. Kind of like the original Legend of Zelda, where it's a lot of running around on the overworld and kind of like exploring and stuff. That part is amazing. Mm -hmm. But then the original also had, uh, nine dungeons that were like massive and, um, challenging and interesting. Whereas this one has four dungeons and they're, you could probably do them in like an hour a piece. Okay. So they're pretty small. They're also kind of similar, um, mechanic wise. So they don't have a lot of variety to them. And they're just, you know, Legend of Zelda typically is like exploration plus a lot of dungeon crawling. And the dungeons are just so small in Breath of the Wild. And what they ended up doing was instead of having like massive dungeons that you go into, they sprinkled throughout the world like a bunch of basically like mini dungeons or mini puzzles. Mm -hmm. Where as you're exploring the map, like little shrines will pop up and you go into the shrine and it has like one puzzle in it. And then once you beat that puzzle, like you get a MacGuffin or orb or whatever that, you know, if you collect four of them, you can get a heart container. Okay. So, or improve your like climbing stamina.
0: How do you like the, so, uh, like the, cause I know the weapons degree, right? Like break. That stuff? part also kind of stinks. Yeah.
1: Um, what
0: happens when you get the ma- <clears throat> excuse
1: me the master sword? It they have some cheesy mechanic where they say it runs out of energy. Oh, so okay. you can use it until its energy runs out, and then you can't use it for like ten minutes or something. That sucks. The reason that they did it was that they want you to do like this survival thing where you're getting materials and scavenging and yeah, you have um, to cook
0: and stuff, right?
1: Yeah, which is good. Um, that part is great, but the weapon stuff is like. I would probably rather have like weapons that don't break. Yeah. And the reason that they did it is, you know, they want you to kind of like adapt and survive and stuff, but it's the durability is like really low. So you can fight like a couple monsters with a sword and then it breaks. That sucks. Yeah. So you can also like find little forest children in that game, hiding under rocks and stuff sprinkled throughout the world and then if you like collect so many seeds from the forest children, then you can like use that to purchase another slot to carry another weapon or something. Okay. So use it, children it's... to buy slots. That's really a weird way of <laughs> <laughs> describing it. But yeah, kinda. <laughs> Actually they're uh they're like little forest nymphs and they don't look like kids. Okay. They're like little little plants that are human like and they give you uh, Korok seeds. Okay. But basically, like, you pick up a rock, and then they're like, poof, they appear, and they go, ha you found me. And they give you the Korok seed, and the Korok seed looks like a little poop. <laughs> it looks like a, a like a poop emoji or something, or a drop. And then, um, when you turn it in to the, like, the guy that, that you get the upgrades from, he, uh they I forget what it is but they have like another subtle hint that's like hey these these things that you're collecting are poop. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of funny but it's also not my favorite part of the game where a lot of the exploration is either finding shrines or finding those forest children. and so there I would rather have like more bigger dungeons and less like collectability stuff I guess in the open world. Yeah. And more like interesting stuff on the map Um, because as it is, there's like a handful of enemy types and maybe like 10 and they go up to like a Lionel, which is a uh, like a lion horse boss man thing. And that's like the biggest, baddest thing in the game to fight, like including with Ganon. And um, that's like all you find on the map is either those things or like the collectability things And there's not a whole lot else to it, so... Hmm. That's not... uh, I I think that was part of, like, the hardware constraints of putting it on Wii U and Switch and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do
0: you think that changes? I mean, I don't know what the power is on the Switch.
1: You mean, like, for the sequel? Yeah. I would hope. I mean, they can put Skyrim on Switch, so... That's also a really good game, though. I would think that you could have more stuff than what they had for Breath of the Wild. Okay. But I don't know. I don't know. So, they're also coming out with uh, Link's Awakening, actually. Yeah, the remake? I played that on uh, on Game Boy. Um, on the I still bus. have mine. You still have your Game Boy?
0: Yeah. Dude, that's well, amazing. Not here, but yeah, I have a Game Boy Color that I bought when I was in high school. When I worked at Babbage's. <laughs> Wow. um with like pokemon red awesome yeah
1: i was a I pokemon to get my daughter to play it but she didn't she's not into it i had a, a blastoise did you do charizard yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so pokemon blue and pokemon red over here yeah cool well um i think that's all i can uh I can come up with for nerd stuff for this one. Um, okay. Go out and play Zelda for me. If you're out there, uh, <laughs> Eddie, definitely check out breath of the wild. And uh, yeah, I guess I will at some point definitely pick up a uh, link's awakening, either the game boy one or the new one coming around. Uh, that was a super interesting one. So cool. This, yep. this has been nerd minute. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, catch you on the next one. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye. Thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, click subscribe to get updates on the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. The show's handle is at techjrpodcast, mine is at Lee Ward Junior, and Eddie's is at ed0ter0. Join us next week for a great episode with Google search designer, Travis Nielsen. We talk about design, UX, UI, and spider-man all right that's all for me take care